all about King Jesus. Praise the Lord. I would like to share with you today a few verses from Genesis to Revelation. I'm, I'm not going to read all of them. <laughs> but I've picked a couple of them that talk about Jesus. Uh, right now, the world is in that season of celebrating his coming into the world, and they see the babe in the manger and how the Lord came exposed and uh, vulnerable. But uh, he is King Jesus. Listen, listen to these words. Way, way back in ancient times, the patriarch Jacob, as he was dying, prophesied concerning the coming Messiah. And in the prophecy that he spoke in Genesis 49.10, it says, The ruling scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants until the coming of the Messiah to whom it belongs. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be the one whom all nations will honor. Wow. So Jacob foresees the coming of the Messiah as one with the ruling scepter and all the people will be gathered to him. When we recognize, acknowledge, and worship and follow Jesus as King, everyone say King Jesus. When we recognize him as King Jesus, hallelujah, then the people will be gathered to him. King Jesus will gather the people to himself. We'll fast forward a few years and the wise men have left their homes in the Orient and they have traveled following a star that they have seen, a prophetic star of a king, a messianic king that uh, is being born and they come into Jerusalem seeking, seeking him. And Matthew says that they went to King Herod and they said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and it's rising and we have come to worship him. I've always been amazed and wondered at the magi, the, the wise men, uh, as we call them, from the east. And about the star, you know, I don't know. I don't know what it was they saw, but they saw something. And... Uh, Here's these guys, they weren't Jewish, they were foreigners, they were astrologers, and yet the, the God who is always faithful to do nothing without a prophetic introduction, let the very heavens declare the birth of a king. The people right under his nose didn't know who it was that was, was laying in that manger, but these guys came from afar, and listen to what they said. They said, we've come to worship a king. Listen to me. When we, the body of Christ, when churches restore the kingship of Jesus in their preaching, when we restore the kingship of Jesus in our calls to sinners to come and receive the Savior, when we begin to go back to telling them, you are not just receiving the Lamb of God, you are receiving King Jesus, the eternal King. When we begin to train our own congregations to walk with Him as the King of glory, 
then people will worship. We won't have to use tricks or gimmicks and prods. People will come from afar to worship him. You won't have to have the best musicians or the best bands. You just need to have King Jesus. And they will start to come and worship him. Let's fast forward a little bit more. 33 and a half years later, Jesus is on trial. He is on trial for allowing people to call him the King, the Messiah. And he's on trial before the the Roman governor, Pilate. And listen to what, uh, listen, Pilate questions him and says, are you a king? And Jesus said and replied to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, he doesn't deny that he's a king, does he? He comes right out and admits to it. I mean, If you're on trial for trusting Jesus, you better be ready to just own it. Hallelujah. And Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting right now to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish authorities. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus replied, You say that I'm a king. For this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world. The governors of foreign entities will acknowledge and declare, so you are a king if we'll start treating Jesus as a king. When we begin to treat Jesus as a king, The world that tramples his name, the world that puts him on trial every day and passes judgments on him will begin to see that he is a king and confess that he is a king. All of the things that Jesus is, everything that he has brought begins to rise and come to view and come to the surface when we treat Jesus as a king, glory to God. And then we want to go off into the future, perhaps a few, perhaps many years from now, at Jesus' return to earth at the end of the tribulation. Revelation says, Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly, and wages a righteous war. His eyes were flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a... And by the way, let me just make a comment. The Holy Spirit interpreted that for me. I used to read it for years. There was a name written on him that no one understood but he himself. You ever wondered, why does he have another name other than Jesus? When the Bible says there is no other name but the name of Jesus, what are they talking about? (coughs) He's got a name that no one understands but he himself. Let me say this to you this morning, because just now as I read it, the Holy Spirit just said, there's your answer, and I'm going to share it with you right now. The name that no one understands but him is meant to let you and I know that Jesus is not a religious invention of men. 
He isn't the Lord Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, because we wrote him up in some books. We dreamed him up. We uh, prophesied him up. We named him. No, he has an identity that no one knows but he himself. He is the I Am. Hallelujah. He is the eternal one. He is the ancient of days. He has a name that nobody knows because he existed before there was anyone to know who he was, before there was anyone to call his name. He's got a name. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Can you say amen? Let me continue. It says, glory to God, his robe was dipped in blood and his title was the word of God. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. And on his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah. Those that follow him in his return, those that are in that military procession on white horses with the finest robes are those that knew him as king of kings. They might have received him as the Lamb of God, but they followed him as the King of kings and the King of glory. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen. amen. Well, as I read these uh, accounts of the, the, the prophecies of Jesus from the very beginning, identifying him as King Jesus, the thought just occurs to me that it's one thing to put your hope on a prophetic baby who comes with regal prophecies attached to him. But inside that baby was the king of glory. And when he grew up and laid down the claims of his kingdom, when his axe was laid to the root of the tree and hearts were being revealed, it was entirely another thing to decide to follow him. Everyone wants peace and prosperity until they hear that freedom requires forsaking the bondage that you're familiar with. Anybody can put hope, like I said, in the prophetic baby. He's like, he's like a white, unwritten page. And we can just kind of assign all of our hopes and our ambitions and our desires to him. But he didn't stay that unwritten page. He was the living word made flesh. And as he grew, that word grew in him. And when he opened his mouth, we found out that he wasn't just religious or spiritual tofu, that all our hopes and dreams are what gave him flavor and what gave him life. He wasn't a response to us. He was the king of glory, responding to himself. It's because God so loved the world that this king came. Not that we so needed him or were so looking for him, but because God loved the world, Jesus came. Hallelujah. Praise God. When Jesus came forth and began to speak 
and begin to open up the hearts of men. People had decisions to make. Can you say amen? When Jesus came, Jesus didn't come to keep the captives of Satan calm in the kingdom of darkness. The devil tried to give him that job. The devil tried to hire him as an administrator of the world. And then Jesus would use his powers to um, make us feel calm and comfortable. You know, the devil doesn't want sinners riled up against him. He, he doesn't mind torturing he doesn't mind addicting. He doesn't mind making sick. He doesn't mind crushing, destroying. He doesn't mind elevating and pumping people up with false power and with hope and with pride and arrogance just to see them fall. He doesn't mind all of those things. The one thing that he does mind is he doesn't want them to turn on him. But Jesus didn't come to keep the slaves of Satan calm. He didn't come to keep the captives of the kingdom of darkness calm. Glory to God. Jesus came, praise God, to free those captives and to give them their own kingdom. Think about life. People always say, and particularly uh, at funerals and memorial services, naked we come into the world and naked we go. And I used to hear that, and I thought, all right, I, I, I kind of get what they're saying. But if you really think about it, let it soak in for a minute. It talks about the kingdom of darkness. When he says, naked we came into this world, and it's certain that we will carry nothing out. He's not talking about coming into the earth. He's talking about coming into the state of the world as it is. And think about what robbery, what loss life really ends up being. And in the end, you come in as that naked, spanking, brand new little baby. And then whatever you acquire in life, no matter how much you gain, no matter how much you have, it's all stripped from you. And the funeral director, the mortician, strips the body off of your corpse tries to paste you up and make you look presentable if you happen to have one of those open coffin uh, uh, home-going services. But man, you, you leave this life and everything you gain, you leave behind. You don't take any of it with you. Now that is tragic. That's a tragedy. That's what life is like under Satan's kingdom, under Satan's domain. Jesus did not come to leave us in that state, to leave us in that life. He broke in to that process called life before we're stripped and have to leave naked. He broke in to break us out, hallelujah. And not just to make us subjects in his kingdom, we don't go from being the objects or the possessions of one dark king just to become the objects, toys, and possessions of Jesus, another king, Jesus came to give us our own kingdom and to make us kings and priests unto our God. Somebody say, praise the Lord. And this is, if this isn't dawning on you now, it's going to dawn on you in a few minutes. Somebody's going to shout, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. He came 
to give us our own kingdom. And he said the very same in Luke chapter 12 when he said, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you, give you the kingdom. Not grab you, collect you, and make, take you from being the, the subject of one kingdom to being the subject of another kingdom so my son can be happy and he can have people to, to dance around him and, and acknowledge his greatness. The intention of King Jesus was to give you himself and make you a king with him. Hallelujah. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Jesus' kingdom does not possess you. You possess it. Think about it. All that we've been preaching this year about the kingdom of God. As the citizens of that kingdom, you are not the possessions of the kingdom. The kingdom is your possession. Think about the orientation. Let that soak in over the next few days in your time of prayer and of meditation. Think about it. Let the Lord reorient your ideas about King Jesus and about his kingdom. Because he came to give you the kingdom. Hallelujah. As your possession. As he was walking out to go back to his throne in glory, he handed you what? The keys to the kingdom. The kingdom of God is not built with walls and barriers like the kingdoms of the world are to hem and to bind people in. But the boundaries of his kingdom are eternal truth and love. The boundlessness of agape, the boundlessness of his truth. And that is what he has given to you and I. Jesus is king. And his kingdom is the very, the actual environment that you and I were designed in. We were designed in that environment. We left that environment. We were expelled. We fell out of that environment into the environment that we now come into naked and leave naked. He came to give us back our kingdom. Hallelujah. And what is that kingdom? bound with eternity, bound with the truth, bound with the love of God. That environment is the Holy Spirit. That environment is the presence of God. You know, if you study Revelation, or excuse me, Genesis chapter 1, you find out that every creature <clears throat> that God made, he made with certain functions. Fish don't fly, birds don't swim, they have unique functions. The fish swim, the birds fly, obviously. And for every one of those creatures, they were designed to function in a specific environment. A bird is nothing without the sky. Fish are nothing without the oceans and the rivers. Are you listening to me? God created every living thing, built and designed to function into it, and then put it in an environment and what it does in that environment is called its glory. When we see the, the great eagle soar, we say, that is majestic. That eagle is in its glory. When we see the, the porpoises and uh, the, the dolphins leaping out of the water, we say, that, that fish, that, that uh, dolphin 
is in its glory. It's in its glory. Hallelujah. Because it's functioning, doing what it was created to do in its environment. You take that dolphin out of the water and drag him up on a dry mountaintop, he can't do his glory, can he? You pluck the eagle from the sky, plunge him into a lake, he can't do his glory in that environment, can he? And we were made in the image and likeness of God. King Jesus is our model. We were modeled after him. Hallelujah. You were designed as a king. Adam was designed as a king. And your environment, the Bible described as the Garden of Eden, what made the Garden of Eden wasn't the trees, the grass, the animals, and, and all of the beautiful surroundings, whatever they might have been, um, but it was the presence of God. That is what made the garden the garden. And so God made man to rule and to reign. When he made him, he said, have authority over the earth, rule and take dominion. I have made you after the king of glory myself. I've designed you in my image and likeness. I've made you like me. And I've put you in an environment that you can control, that you can reign over. You can rule this environment. You can multiply it. When he said, keep and tend the garden, that word tend had to do with the idea of expanding. Until you have expanded to take over the whole world. I have put you on this earth to rule and to have dominion over the earth. Hallelujah. Praise God. But the environment that, that made Adam, King Adam, King Adam was King Jesus. The environment that made King Adam and Queen Eve royal, hallelujah, and capable of their function of ruling and reigning was the presence of God. They left that presence when they let Satan talk them out of his kingdom, out of God's kingdom, and into his kingdom. They walked out of the kingdom of light into the kingdom of darkness following the Pied Piper of sin. God really didn't mean what he said. God knows, and, and they tempted their pride, tempted their ego, and they fell for it, and he piped them right into the kingdom of darkness. Now look at how pathetic. We who were designed and created as eternal beings to be kings eternally with God come into the world through pain, naked, and we leave usually with at least as much pain, if not more, stripped and barren and nothing to show for it. So here comes King Jesus. Who is King Jesus? What is, what is he like? What kind of a king is King Jesus? If, if understanding him to be a king, if relating to him as the king of eternity, the king of glory, is what causes people to submit and surrender out of love, causes them to worship, causes them to acknowledge, hallelujah, causes them to follow him in power and in majesty, then we should probably know what kind of a king Jesus is. So I just want to touch on a few things this morning about Jesus, his nature, his character as a king. First of all, you must know that Jesus does not rule over a kingdom of captives like the devil does. Everyone in life is a captive to the kingdom of darkness. No matter 
Not, no matter uh, how much better your life may be than someone else's, all of us are in the same boat in this world until the Lord takes you out and plants you in his kingdom. But in his kingdom, Jesus does not rule over a kingdom of captives. He shares a kingdom of kings. King Jesus, I thank you for that. King Jesus, I praise you. I praise you for who you are. King Jesus, I thank you that you gave your life to me. You gave your life, King Jesus, to us. Your love freed us from sin. King Jesus, I thank you that you fill us with your spirit. King Jesus, I thank you. You cover us with your glory. And you hand us the keys to the kingdom and say, welcome home, beloved. Hallelujah. Thank you, King Jesus. Thank you for turning the mirror, Jesus Christ, around and showing you and I, hallelujah, showing us who you are. You are wonderful. You are, you are the shepherd king. You came looking for us. You sought us out at the worst core of our need. You sought us out at that place of need that made everyone else run away from us. You ran to us. Think about that for just a moment. That the things about you that were the most needy in your life that nobody else wanted to deal with and everyone ran away, everyone rejected you over, everyone else abandoned you over and if you didn't have to live inside yourself, you'd leave yourself. But Jesus came running. Come on. Jesus came running. Jesus came at the very thing in you that turned everyone else off the most because he knew what he could do with you. Man, oh man, hallelujah. Glory to God. What kind of king is Jesus? In John's Gospel, chapter 19, it says, Hail, king of the Jews, and they smote him with their hands. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. The epitome of rejection, of insult. And yet, what kind of king is Jesus? What kind of king is he? He endures abuse to save his abusers. He endures rejection to save those that reject him. Even when they abandon him, he endures all of it. That is how much you mean to King Jesus. That's one thing about him that you and I should know. What kind of king is Jesus? In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 25, it says, And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it, good or bad, to the least of one of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. King Jesus is the one who is one with his people. He is one with us. Hallelujah. He takes note of everything people do to you. 
Whatever people do to you, however they treat you, he takes note of it. Sometimes you think no one notices what I'm going through. Nobody sees how bad that cut to my heart when, when those people did that or that individual said that thing. But he takes note of all of it and he takes it personally so that if you suffer, he gets into your suffering and he suffers with you and he makes certain that you will reign with him. And the Bible says if we suffer with him, we shall reign with him. Nothing we go through, nothing is, is going to go unpaid by his grace and his love to us. That's who King Jesus is. Hallelujah. That's who Jesus is. What kind of a king is Jesus? Matthew goes on to say, Then the king will say to those on his right, <clears throat> You who are blessed by my Father, come and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Wow. What king says, Come into my kingdom and have it. Who does that? Solomon, the queen, <clears throat> the queen uh, came to visit him, and she was stunned. She was blown away, and he was just showing off all of the mountains of gold and silver and took her up to the house of God until she just couldn't take anymore. It was so amazing. But Solomon didn't say, here, you can have all, the, all of this. I've been collecting it for one purpose. It's for you. But Jesus said, I will say to those who have followed me, I will say to you, come and inherit the kingdom that the Father has set aside for you. He has prepared it for you before the foundation of the world. That's what kind of king Jesus is. Can you say amen? You know, there was a king inside that prophetic baby that the wise men came to worship. And a baby is like a lamb. It's vulnerable. Um, and the spirit of the world picked a fight with that baby. And we know that because King Herod, after the wise men came to worship the baby, King Herod got jealous See, that's the way the world is. That's the hostility of the world and its kingdom that we live in. It wants to kill whatever takes its glory. And so Herod had all the babies in Bethlehem from two years old and under put to death. Some of you mothers, some of you fathers feel that this morning. Just feel that with me. Think of your own child. The soldiers came bursting in and killed everyone two years and under just so they could be sure they wiped out Jesus. The world declared war, picked a fight with the lamb and wanted to put him to death. And the Bible says it's not over. For 2,000 years, the world has been persecuting Christians and wanting to put them to death and wanting to snuff out the light of the church. And Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're surely going to persecute you. Whatever they've done to me, they're going to do to you, not because of you, but because of me. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And why do I say glory to God? Hold that thought because there's an answer to that question. But the day is coming when an evil coalition of nations, and we can see the movement 
of this coalition being formed even today. During our lifetime, we have seen the rise. We have seen the coming together and the spirit of Antichrist moving to form a coalition of nations that will rise up and make war with the Lamb. They will go and pick a fight with the Lamb of God because it's easy to beat up on a baby. It's easy to attack a vulnerable lamb, isn't it? Lamb that can't fight back, a baby that can't fight back. And Christians throughout the ages, real believers, have gone like lambs to the slaughter before the persecutors in the world. So one day they're gonna, they are going to pick a war, make a war with the lamb. But before they get there, they're going to end up facing King Jesus. That king that is in the lamb, it is in the baby. For Revelation 17, 14 says, These shall make war with the lamb, and the lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And they that are with him, when he comes to meet this army that has picked a fight with him, to make war with him, they that follow him are called and chosen and faithful. Who are those that comprise the battalions, the divisions, the armies, the regiments of Jesus, of King Jesus? They are the called, the chosen, and the faithful. So when Jesus comes and faces them, when the nations gather against him in a final conflict to make war against the babe, the lamb, Jesus isn't going to come alone. He's going to have some people with him. Praise the Lord. I said he's going to have some people with him. Praise the Lord. And who are they? The called. The chosen. And the faithful. Those who hear the kingdom calling. Those who choose him because he has chosen them. You know, the reason you chose Jesus is because he chose you before you chose him. You wouldn't know him today if he didn't know you first. You wouldn't be able to worship him today if he didn't first choose you. You are chosen. And you need to decide to choose him and take it to the next level and become the faithful. Who follow the lamb? The called, the chosen, and the faithful. And so I close with this verse out of Psalm 24, 9 and 10. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, O everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? He is the Lord of hosts, mighty in battle. He is the King of glory. And so the invitation is out there today. Are you going to be at that final end, at the end of the tribulation period, before the world goes in, hallelujah, to the reign of King Jesus upon the earth and his kingdom shall reign forever and ever. Praise the Lord. Where are you going to be when that conflict breaks out? Jesus is calling. Jesus is calling because he loves you. And he has chosen you. And if you hear him calling, 
you can choose to say yes. I want to be with you, King Jesus. It's hard to relate to a baby or to a lamb, but King Jesus makes his kingdom very clear. And we often think of a king as being somebody that we're normally quite afraid of, a little selfish because he gathers everything around him as his possessions. But I've hoped Hope to have shared a few things with you today to make you know that when Jesus said, come and inherit the kingdom prepared for you by my Father, that what that means is everything that matters to me, I want you to have. As much as righteousness, peace and joy and eternal authority and power matter and mean to me, I want you to have them. I want you to have them. In fact, I have made you to live in them and to function in them, and I give them and I offer them to you. So I hope that you know that Jesus is a different kind of a king. He is the king of glory. Not his own glory alone, but your glory. The glory he has, he gives to you. And when he was in the garden, spending his last few minutes before he was arrested, and crucified, he prayed and said, Father, give them the glory that you have given to me so that they may be one even as you and I are one. That's King Jesus. Close your Bible and stand with me this morning.